Well, thank you for your singing. And uh, we'll continue our worship now by looking at God's Word. This morning we're going to begin a new sermon series, and we're going to begin a new adventure of going chapter by chapter through the book of Jonah. Now let me remind ourselves of a similar thing of going through the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, our purpose was never to get through the Gospel of Mark. That was never our purpose, and I hope you understand that. Our goal was to get the Gospel of Mark through us. That's two different things. And so when we begin this journey of going through the book of Jonah, our purpose is not to get through the book of Jonah. Our purpose is to get the book of Jonah through us. The one thing, one thing that most of us know about the book of Jonah is that it's a story about a guy. It's just, it's mind-boggling. It's a story about a guy who gets swallowed up by a giant fish. And then a few days later, the fish spits him out of his mouth, and Jonah is miraculously still alive. Now, yes, that's an actual picture of when it happened. Let's just think about this again. The story of Jonah is this amazing, incredible, mind-boggling story about a man who gets swallowed by a big fish. And then after three days of living inside the fish, the fish spits him out. And he is miraculously still alive. So I want you to go back, travel back with me to last, and I've told this story to Sharon, but it was either last Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning at 3 o'clock I woke up, 3 o'clock in the morning, thinking about this story. And so I wondered, you know, our house is completely quiet and our house is completely dark at 3 in the morning. And I tried to put myself into Jonah, and I'm wondering, what's going on? The, the author of the book doesn't tell us much about what happened inside that fish. But is it cold, or is it warm? Is it stinky? Smelly? Is it humid? Is it completely dark, or is there a little bit of light? I mean, when the big fish opens his mouth does I mean I don't know where Jonah is inside this fish but when he opens his mouth to eat more food does that let in daylight or does he or or is it like some people think a big whale that just sort of lives on the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea and never comes up was it completely dark and another thought that crossed my mind at three in the morning last Wednesday was was he trying to get out? Or, or was there no chance to get out? It's a real story. It's a story, but it's a real story. And once we get beyond the story of Jonah being swallowed by what my Bible says I think is a great fish or a giant fish, for most of us, that's really all we know about Jonah. That's all we know about the book of Jonah. So for the next four or five weeks, and I don't think it's going to go longer than that, for the next four or five weeks, I'm trusting God that all of us 
will enjoy this book as we learn new things from God from this book of Jonah as we journey through life together. Last week I read in the commentary, Dr. Trent Butler makes this comment about the book of Jonah. By the way, before I tell you what Trent Butler said, you know there's 17, I think is the number, 17 prophets in the books of prophecies, major prophets and minor prophets. And my experience is all those 17 books tell the same story in one way or another. And it all boils down to this. Obey God and be blessed. Disobey God and suffer the consequences. And it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. I mean, they're all the same. Obey God and be blessed. Disobey God? Oh, suffer the consequences. But Trent Butler says in his commentary on Jonah, he says this, Jonah is different from all the other prophetic books. In fact, in fact he says Jonah is different from all the other books in the Bible, period. Jonah does not, and here's what he says, Jonah does not report on the preaching of a prophet like all the other prophetic books. Jonah does not make the prophet a hero like all the other prophetic books. Jonah does not give us a plain and simple theological idea that we can somehow, and we've all walked through these experiences, Jonah does not give us just one verse that we can sort of memorize and put that in our brain, and then for the rest of our lives think that if we had that one verse memorized, we now understand everything in the book. Jonah's not like that. Jonah's different than all the other books. Jonah tells us a story. The book of Jonah tells us a story. It's a true story, but it's a story nonetheless. It's filled with both irony and humor. Jonah gives us an example of how not to be a messenger of God. God gives us this book of Jonah because he wants us to understand that something negative can be turned around and turned into something positive. Now, here's one thing I learned this past week. I don't think I'd ever even thought about this before. This man, Jonah, is only mentioned one time in the entire Bible outside of the book of Jonah. One time his name shows up in the other 65 books. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Kings 14. I want to read just three or four verses from 2 Kings 14 and show you where his name appears. 2 Kings 14, and I'm going to read... Four or five verses beginning in verse 23. In the 15th, 2 Kings 14, 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. Verse 24. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. 25, he restored the, this is our verse, 25, he restored the border of Israel from Laboth Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah. This is the only place in the entire Bible where his name shows up outside of the book of Jonah. Where he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hafer, 
For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. This Jeroboam is the 13th king king of all those ancient Israel kingdoms. He ruled, we know this, he ruled from 786 B.C. to 746 B.C., which tells us, if we're trying to develop a timeline on when did this guy named Jonah, when did this even happen? We know that it had to happen somewhere between 786 and 746 B.C. And according to verse 25, and this is the last time we're going to go back to that, according to verse 25, in, now were we in, first Kings or in 2 Kings 14, it was Jonah who gave King Jeroboam a message from God that the king should restore the border of Israel to an exact geographic location. And that's all we know about Jonah. That's it. Except what we find in the book of Jonah. We do not know who wrote the book. It wasn't Jonah. But we don't know who it is. And we also don't know when the book was written. So that puts us in kind of a dilemma if we're worried about things like that. A, we don't know who wrote the book, and B, we don't know when it was written. But we do know this, that the book of Jonah is part of Holy Scriptures. It's part of the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God, and because it's part of the Bible, we know there's a message there for us, for each and every one of us. There's a message that God wants us to take and understand and apply to our life. Now, here's some of what we do know. The first time we read the book of Jonah, and in fact, I would guess that most of us are in this situation. The first time we read the book of Jonah, we begin to easily think that Jonah, well, he's really a poor excuse for a prophet. Poor excuse or lousy excuse or... I don't know how we would describe this guy, because when God asks him to do something, you know what he does? He says no, and he goes in the other direction. But then the more we think about that, the more we begin to realize that Jonah is really not that much different than you and I. Because think about this. When was the last time that God asked you to do something, and you said no, and turned and went in the other direction. So Jonah is a lot like, I won't throw all of us under the bus here, and I won't say he's a lot like all of us, but I'll say this, he's a lot like most of us. Because most of us could give examples of when God asked us to do things, and we said, no thanks, and we went in the other direction. So, Trey, I don't know if you have that map up there. Let's throw that map up there. Called to go east, Jonah goes west. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, no thanks, I'm going to Tarshish. Called to be God's messenger to the people around him. The first thing Jonah does when he gets on the boat, he goes under the deck and he finds a place to fall asleep. Mm. He's not all that concerned. A little while later, he's telling the sailors to throw him overboard, and that somehow prompts these sailors who have no relationship with God whatsoever to begin to pray after they throw him overboard, they, be, they begin to pray to the one true God. 
And when he's caught in the fish's belly, as we'll take a look next week, he has this song or this, this uh, poem about Thanksgiving. Forced. And what other word would you use? Forced to proclaim God's message to Nineveh. Jonah speaks eight words. Eight words. And we'll look at these in chapter 3. Eight words. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's his whole sermon. And I know what some of you are thinking. Steve, you're way too long here. Jonah preaches eight words. And in the blink of an eye, God performs one of the greatest spiritual harvests ever recorded in Holy Scripture. And the whole sermon, I, my thinking, it was much longer than that, but whoever wrote this down only recorded eight words. Now, the primary teaching, if you have your notebook or you want to write this in your Bible, the primary teaching of the book of Jonah is this. For us to experience the grace of God in our lives, while at the same time we have little or no desire to tell others what God can do in their life, is a tragedy. Let me say that again. For us to think that we're going to experience God's grace and love and kindness in our life, while at the same time we're paying little or no attention to the people around us and telling them about what God wants to do in their life, that is a tragedy. As disobedient followers of Jesus, we can, by not doing anything... Prevent God's grace from having an impact in somebody else's life. And God expects us to be kind and gracious and merciful to those people around us, including those people who ridicule us and laugh at our faith. The question we need to ask ourselves is this. If God is concerned about all those other people, why am I not concerned? So let's read. Let's get out of 2 Kings. Let's go to the book of Jonah, and I'm going to read chapter 1. And I just invite you to follow along as I read. It's a short chapter. It's only 17 verses. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Can you imagine? So that the ship threatened to break up. That's a storm. That's a real storm. Number five, then the mariners were afraid. Now let's just stop again. These are the guys that live on the water. They live on the boat. I mean, they've gone back and forth. That's all they do is travel back and forth across the Mediterranean Sea. And these guys are scared for this storm. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us 
that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where are you from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Hold on, time out. I shared this story in Sunday school. I'm going to share it again this morning. When I was in fourth grade or fifth grade, I came home from school one day using a word that I didn't know what it meant, but it was a word that I'd picked up in the playground at school. And my dad, I still remember my dad, he looked at me and he says, Steve, what does that word mean? I said, I don't know. And he said, if you don't know what the word means, you need to stop using it. Now, in Sunday school, I said that's probably the best thing my dad ever said to me. But I, as I just reflect on the last hour, I, I'm sure he said things that were more important than that. But he caught my attention. Don't use words if you don't know what they mean. So when I'm reading this last week, I come up to this word in verse 11, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. I don't even know what that means. I can tell you this, in all my life, I've never used that word. Not even one time. If you had stopped me on the sidewalk out here and said, we're taking a little quiz, and here's the magic word for today, tempestuous, we'll give you $100 if you can tell us what it means. So what confuses me is why we keep coming out with all these new Bible translations, and they use words that we don't even, I don't even, maybe I'm the only person in the room that doesn't know what it means. So I looked it up. In the NIV Bible, for the sea grew rougher and rougher. Now that I understand. Tempestuous? I don't know what that means. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of this, that this great tempest, okay, in the NIV it says storm, I like that, has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Rougher and rougher. The sea grew rougher and rougher against them. I understand that. Verse 14, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. That had to be something. The sailors are scared to death that the ship is going to fall apart. They have seen, let me tell you, friends, they have seen every kind of storm known to mankind. These guys live on the boat in the Mediterranean Sea. Nothing scares these guys except this storm. And then they talk to Jonah, and Jonah says, well, here's the deal. If you throw me in, the seas will become calm. And they actually, they don't want to do it at first. But they pick him up and they throw him in the sea. It's just as calm. It reminds me of that story of Jesus where he's sleeping in the back of the boat. Remember, and he's just catching some Z's and the disciples are scared to death. These are guys, fishermen. 
They've spent their life on the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up and Jesus stands up and he says, be still. And whoa. And then the one disciple says to the other one, who is this guy? They throw Jonah in the Mediterranean Sea and the storm goes away. Verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And then verse 17. So verse 16, we have these, these pagan sailors who have no faith in the true God at all. They begin to pray to the one true God and make promises to him. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed. The NIV says provided. Another new translation that I enjoy called God's word says sent. And the Lord Appointed, provided, or sent a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah was a hero in Israel. Remember, he was the guy that took God's word. God had spoken to Jonah, said, take this message to Jeroboam and tell him to reestablish the borders of Israel at certain geographic locations. We just read that in 2 Kings 14. He's a hero because Jeroboam did that and Israel was blessed with peace and security for a while. But now, for some reason, as willing as God, as Jonah is to do that, when God says, take these words and go deliver these words to Jeroboam, he did that apparently without blinking an eye. Now God has another message for him. I want you to take these words I'm about to tell you and go take these words to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no thanks. I'm not going. For some reason, he was obedient in doing what God asked him to do originally, but now he doesn't want to be obedient. He refuses. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh and tell the people there that God loves them. He knows what Nineveh is like. Instead of traveling to Nineveh, he gets on a boat. You saw the map, and he goes in the opposite direction. Once on board, you remember the story? He goes to the bottom. He goes to the sea. I mean, he goes to the bottom of the ship, and he goes to sleep. And while these pagan sailors are out there calling on their pagan gods, praying to their false gods for deliverance. The angry captain goes and finds Jonah in the bottom of the boat, and he brings him up on top, and they cast lots. I don't understand how that works. It's like throwing dice. They cast lots, and they discover that this storm is Jonah's fault. Jonah says, if they throw me in the sea, the storm will quiet down, and everybody's going to be safe. So they do what? They throw him in the sea, and it quiets down. And as Jonah is swimming, picture this with me, he's in the water swimming for his life. God appoints a giant fish to come and swallow him. And he's inside the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Scared to death. I don't know about you if you've ever been scared in the water. There's something different about being scared in the water than being scared on dry land. Two times I was scared in the water. First time when I was about 10 years old and I didn't know how to swim and my neighbors invited me 
to go with them to the lake. And I was standing on the edge of the dock, and somehow, the, you know what it's like, the dock was all wet, and I fell in. I fell off the end of the dock. Boy, I was scared. There was a lady there who was swimming, jumped in, and she, well, she saved me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. I think I started swimming lessons the next week. Second time I was scared in the water was I was in college. With, uh, I was in Ocean City, Maryland for the summer. And two college friends and myself had rented this little fishing boat. I'll just call it. They, on the ocean there. We spent the whole summer there. And one Sunday afternoon, we rented a fishing boat for... Who knows, 10 bucks a piece, I suppose, and we could be gone for two or three hours. And it had no motor, but it had oars. And we were just there having fun. I don't even remember who was rowing at a certain time. But all of a sudden we stopped and we, we realized we couldn't see land. That's a scary place to be. We looked in every direction. There was no land. And the second thing we noticed was there was no life jackets in the boat. I know what it's like to be on the water and be scared. I have no idea what it's like to be on the water and scared and be swallowed by a giant, huge, great fish and then to be still alive inside the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. John 3.16, perhaps the most recognized and loved verse of all the verses in the Bible says, God loves the whole world. But we don't. We don't. We don't. God loves the whole world. But we don't. You know who we love? We as human beings, we tend to love the people who love us. But those people who are upset with us and those people who are mad at us and those people who are ridiculing us for our faith, for, the, for most of the time, we want little or nothing to do with them. And we will do almost anything just to get away from them and stay out of their way. You and I, we tend to be a lot like Jonah. We stay as far away from people who can hurt us and from people who reject us as we can get. God asked Jonah to do something that needed doing to take the, his message of love and forgiveness to the capital city of Nineveh, one of the meanest and cruelest cities on the earth. And by the way, this afternoon, and I know you have time in between the football game, if you go to Google Earth, and look up the city of Mosul, M-O-S-U-L, Iraq. That's the city of Nineveh. And if you look up on Google, and I did this yesterday, and you scroll in as far as you can get, as your computer will let you, you can still see the ruins of Nineveh. On your home computer, on your cell phone, you can see the ruins of Nineveh today. It's just not that far from the Tigris River. And it's still there today. That's where God is sending Jonah. At the time of Jonah, Nineveh was known for two things, politics and wickedness. And it was this wickedness 
that had gotten God's attention. And that's why he wanted to send somebody there to tell them that he loved them. Verse 2, Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for the evil that has come up before me. God and his holiness needed to do something about that wickedness. And that's why he called Jonah to go and preach about God's love to a city that is filled with wickedness. Go to Nineveh. Going there was the farthest thing from Jonah's mind. He was probably thinking of like, are you kidding me? God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but I'm not going to Nineveh. I'll go anywhere and do whatever you want me to do. God, that city is so wicked, why don't you just destroy it? You don't need me to go there and tell them to seek forgiveness before you destroy it. Just save us both a lot of time and trouble. Just destroy it as it is. So Jonah gets on a boat headed for Tarshish, the farthest place he could get from where God wanted him to go. Verse 15 says, So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Finally, after everything else had failed, after the sailors had sacrificed their own sacrifices to their own false gods, they threw Jonah in the sea, and immediately God calmed the storm. Verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And I ask myself, how can this happen? How, how did that actually happen? And the answer is, we don't know. Whoever it is that wrote this book, and there are multitudes of ideas out there about who wrote this book and when this book was written, but that's all they are is ideas and theories. Nobody knows who and nobody knows when. But why didn't they give us a little more information? Well, that's all they gave us. We walk by faith, not by sight. We trust that God was in charge and still is. The author of this book didn't feel it was necessary to offer any explanation. The fact is that God used this fish, a giant fish, a great fish, to preserve Jonah's life. And God made it possible for someone to actually live inside a fish for three days. Time after time, the Bible tells us how God uses his power to accomplish things that are needed doing. And he never tells us why or how or when. Because we report to God. He doesn't report to us. Since God wanted the people in Nineveh to hear about his love for them, he chose someone who would go and tell them. And his name was Jonah. And just because Jonah didn't want to go, that didn't mean he wasn't going. God is a sovereign God and he will always use whatever means are necessary in order to accomplish his purposes. God still speaks to his people today and he gives us, he gives you and I assignments that he expects us to accomplish. Now let me close with this question. My question today is, what is God asking you to do this week? that may or may not be outside of your comfort zone. Just think about that. What is God asking, not just you, but me as well, God, what is God asking us to do this week that might be outside of our comfort zone? Before you come back next Sunday, I'd appreciate it if you'd read Jonah chapter 2.
And next week we'll look at chapter 2. So let's pray together and then invite the ushers to come for this morning's offering. Let's pray. Dear Lord, whatever it is that you are going to lay on our hearts about what you want us to do this week, help us to be open in doing that, even in those situations where it's going to be comfortable and it will stretch us. But God, we want to be obedient children. We want to do what you want us to do. So we thank you, Lord, for Jonah, and we thank you for his turning his life around and being obedient and bringing the message of God's love to a city that had shown little or no appreciation or attention to God. We thank you that there was a revival there and that people fell in love with God. But Lord, it would have never happened if he hadn't turned his mind around. So thank you, Lord, for the story we hold in our hands. And then, Lord, as we take this offering, we thank you for each and every gift. We ask that as we pray many times, we ask that you'd help us to continue being good stewards of all that you entrust into our care. We ask that you'd care for us until we can come back again and worship you as brothers and sisters in Christ next Sunday. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.